Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And I'd like to begin today by letting you know that while I'm going to pass along some information that uh, I get from various and sundry people, well, the conclusions and opinions that I express here are just that. They're my opinions. Now, as I mentioned last week, today I'm going to tell you why I am against, and did you get that? I am against the California Ballot Measure Proposition 64, which is titled the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Hopefully your mind is open enough to hear me out, uh, particularly in the event that you are now supporting that measure. As Frank Zappa once said, a mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it's not open. So let's give our parachutes a check here before we bail out of the system that we now have in California, which was the first state to decriminalize the use of medical marijuana. I'll be honest here, uh, if all that Prop 64 did was to let non-medical users possess up to one ounce of grass, but left the current medical marijuana infrastructure and patients untouched, well, then I might be persuaded to look the other way and not even bring this up. But that's not the situation that we're faced with here in California. Because if Prop 64 passes, all, as in every single one, of our medical recommendations become void on January 1st, 2018. Then we will be required to get a new recommendation, but only from our current personal physician. There will be no more medical marijuana recommendations available to you unless your own personal physician gives you one. And on top of that, you're going to be required to pay $100 for a medical marijuana card. And (laughs) you're only going to be able to purchase your medicine from a state-approved store one ounce at a time. Our current dispensaries are going to be dismantled. Now, if you're a grower and think that the new state stores are going to give you a new and bigger market, well, you'd better think again. Because with all the new restrictions on what can be sold and how, you're going to need a state-approved inspection and tests and strictly-approved packaging for your products. As long, that is, if you first pass the approval process and pay the growing fee, which our current lieutenant governor thinks should be set around (laughs) $500,000. Oh, and you'll go to jail if you make any cannabis oil. And it's actually even worse than that, but those are the headlines. Now, I'll do my best to explain how I came to this conclusion. And what I'm going to do is to play parts of several other podcasts that featured people who I think will help me tell you more about Prop 64. You know, uh, it was only about a week and a half ago that I was planning on voting for this proposition. At the time, all that I knew is that it would let anyone over 21 buy pot. At least that's what I thought I'd be voting for. But then my wife suggested that I read an article by Ellen Brown, who wrote an article titled, The War on Weed Part 2. Monsanto, Bayer, and the Push for Corporate Cannabis. Well, since I have a high regard for Ellen Brown's opinion, I read it and was shocked. So I began checking around and discovered other highly regarded medical marijuana patients and growers who are also trying to point out what a terrible proposition this is. So what I've decided to do here is to play part of an interview with Ellen Brown, and I'll follow that with an interview with a medical marijuana patient 
who is also a lawyer and who has provided us with a very detailed and annotated copy of Prop 64. And, by the way, just ask any teenager you know how they would go about writing a law that legalized marijuana. My guess is that none of them would write more than a half a page to get the job done. Well, the law that Prop 64 authorizes is over 60 pages long. Did you hear that? The AYUMA, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, is over 60 pages of fine print that I'm willing to bet creates at least one violation for every one of us here in the salon in some way or another. It's been said that a camel is a horse that was designed by a committee. And if you take the time to read through this mess of legal mumbo-jumbo, you'll discover that it is perhaps the ugliest camel ever designed. But first, let's listen to this part of an interview with Ellen Brown that's from the Corbett Report podcast. So let's uh, just take this from the opening of your article where you write, The war on cannabis that began in the 1930s seems to be coming to an end. Research shows that this natural plant, rather than posing a deadly danger to health, has a wide range of therapeutic benefits. But skeptics question the sudden push for legalization, which is largely funded by wealthy investors linked to big ag and big pharma. All right, so to set the table for the conversation about what's happening right now, perhaps we should go back and understand the context of this. Why was marijuana and its all of its derivatives, including industrial hemp, made illegal and made into a Category 1 controlled substance in the first place? Was it out of a genuine fear of public safety, or were there other interests behind that move? Well, there were clearly other interests behind the move. It was, for the American colonists, it was the most, I think it was the first uh, agricultural crop that, that they had, hemp. And it was like your patriotic duty to grow hemp. Hemp was used as money. It was actually currency in the colonies. And it had many, many uses all the way up till the late 19th century. It was one of the most important agricultural crops. One thing you had to have it for was sales for a ship. So if you had any kind of shipping business, you you had to have hemp. And of course, it was for cloth and uh, textiles of various sorts. It's uh, more efficient as a as a paper than than growing wood. And there are, they keep coming up with new uses for it. And also, it's been used for its therapeutic benefits for 2,000 years. I mean, there's at least the records go back that far. It may be one of the oldest therapeutic herbs. And there's just the fact that it's a plant. I mean, it's called a drug, but it's a plant. We're talking about a thing with roots and leaves. And to criminalize a plant seems like a non-starter. So, um <clears throat> In the 1930s, it was competing with a number of other uh, businesses, including the pharmaceutical, the oil, pet, uh, the, oil the paper. Um, they were coming out with these new synthetic materials that hemp would compete with. And uh, there was a, a big problem with immigration that um, in California, where right now is, you know, probably maybe the the hub of where they grow uh, medical marijuana in California. You had all these Mexicans coming up over the border and this was part of their culture to smoke marijuana. It, in fact, it was given a different name. It, it was cannabis when it was part of these natural remedies that all doctors were familiar with. And they changed the name to marijuana, um, meaning this 
happy drug, you know, that that was the, the Mexican name for it. And it was said to make women willing to sleep with black people. <laughs> Amazing claims were made for it. So, so it was an excuse to, um, throw immigrants in jail, black, blacks and Mexicans. And, um, it, out of that came this whole big criminal business that, that we now have. And then, so, so it was, it was made illegal in the 1930s. And then under uh, Nixon with the war on drugs, it was made, um, a schedule one controlled substance, which meant it was a deadly, dangerous drug with no uh, therapeutic benefit and um, subject to abuse, which is clearly not true. It has lots of therapeutic ben- benefit. One of its big benefits is uh, for cancer, which is the biggest uh, big be- business in the U.S. right now. So it clearly competes with these drug businesses. So why, that's the question, why all of a sudden, if in, if in fact it was big corporate money that was suppressing it, why have they suddenly gotten behind it? They're not just letting it happen, but it's big corporate money that's actually pushing for legalization. And particularly it's George Soros and the, um, uh, who is a big shareholder in Monsanto and Monsanto just, Monsanto and Bayer are in negotiation for Bayer to buy out Monsanto. So we're talking big ag and big pharma who would like to take over this very large multi-billion dollar business. And the only way they would be able to do it, clearly, would be to um, impose pharmaceutical regulation on, on this alleged drug and uh, make it genetically modified so that, I mean, we know what gen- GMOs have done to corn and soy, and that's that's what they want to do to marijuana. And there's research going on in Uruguay, et cetera. One problem, that, one reason that ha- it hasn't been legalized for um, medical purposes is um, federally is that you have to do these very expensive studies and uh, that go through the FDA and nobody, nobody of course has been able to afford to afford to do that or has the profit motive to do it except big drug companies. And if they do it, they want to patent it and they want to make it genetically modified. So walk us through what the, the, the business plan is here. Um, Explain for people how it is that, making something legal can be done in such a way as to benefit the big corporations? Uh, right now in California, it's uh, legal for people who have health problems and you can go to a doctor of your choice and get a um, um, permit that says, you know, you're, you're allowed to use it. And then you can grow it in your own backyard or wherever you like. And, um, but the rules say that it can't be grown for profit. In other words, you can have these little dispensaries that that are nonprofits that you can pay the people for the work that they do, but you can't have corporate shareholders who are sucking profits out, who are not actually workers in the business. So that forecloses uh, Monsanto, Big Ag, and um, Bayer, and Big Big the big pharmaceutical companies. So the way for them to get in is to um, 
legalize it, which is what, what the current bill is in California, that's what prompted me to write. Um, there's a bill that's uh, coming up in November. Uh, we had a bill that was passed in, I think, 19, in, the, in, in the 1990s, which was the uh, Compassionate Use Act. I think it was um, 215 was the number on it. And um, that was the one that allowed uh, use for medical purposes if you got a permit from your doctor. But it and it was a um, an initiative of of the voters. So then there was a legislative bill passed that put all sorts of uh, pharmaceutical restrictions on it. And the problem with that is it was a it was a legislative bill which technically you can't override a voter initiative by the legislature. What you need is another voter initiative. So now there's another voter initiative pending that would incorporate the the legislative uh, act that was already passed, I think, in uh, last December of 2015. So that's what that's what they're trying to do is to it, it looks like they're legalizing it for all purposes. But in fact, you have to be over 21. So, you know, that there are going to be all sorts of teenagers who are sneaking around in the black market who will get caught, who will wind up in prison as they are today. So you've still got big business for the prison industry. Even people who are not, or people who are over 21 will still have a problem if they're, you know that a lot of users may not qualify for the um, technical, they may not have the sort of health problem that they're, that the doctor that they're assigned to says qualifies for for medical use and they may not want to take these drugs that are actually made pharmaceutically that are GMO they could be GMO they're uh, they for sure they've been extracted they're not the whole plant with the whole whatever the whole therapeutic benefit I mean anybody who's into holistic medicine wants the whole plant you can I, I saw a video of people who were juicing the plant and got amazing. I mean, it was amazing the things, the health problems that these juicing the plant, the raw plant, you're not smoking it, you're not getting any sort of high off it, you're not heating it, uh, has amazing health benefits. And clearly you need a lot of plants to do that. You can't just have whatever the very limited amount that you're allowed to grow yourself. And if you have a serious disease like MS or cancer, you're going to you would need a lot of plants. So. Well, I think the uh, the real agenda here is exposed even on the official website for the Proposition 64, Yes on 64 campaign, uh, Support the Adult Use of Marijuana Act at letsgetitrightca.org, which says uh, the statewide ballot measure to control, regulate, and tax adult use of marijuana will take a grassroots movement to be a part of it right away. Um, I think control, regulate, and tax are the key uh, words there um, rather than legalize. So perhaps legalize is not quite the right word to be using in this context. Please go ahead. The taxes will not go to help the the state in any way, like the schools, all the things that we need tax money for. It's going to go right into this business of control. So it will go back into law enforcement, administration of the program itself. So and, it's all uh, my- regulatory agencies, which have a history of being tied to the very corporations that they're supposedly regulating, um, as we've seen in all too many sectors of uh, the American industry and economy. So uh, that presents us 
with the conundrum for people who are interested in the legalization of marijuana in California, should they be voting no on 64? And if so, what what should they be doing positively? Yes, they should be voting no on 64. And there there was um, an original bill. It's the Jack Herrera bill. I don't know the number on it, but there are ways that you could legalize it for everybody that would be safe and fair and not under the control of big corporations. So the uh, the answer is to reject the phony solution and work towards what the real solution is, although obviously there is not the big corporate money and interest and passion behind the real That's solution. True. It's not just a question of legalization. It's a question of how it is legalized and the framework in which that occurs. All right, let's direct people once again to ellenbrown.com where they can find more of your work as well as the articles that we've discussed here. Ellen, thank you very much for your time today. Did you catch what Ellen just said about where the tax money will go? Should you be interested enough to read the bill that you're going to be voting on, you'll discover that none of the tax money that's going to be raised under Prop 64, none of it will go to schools, roads, or other services that are supported by the General Operating Fund. No, all of the marijuana taxes under Prop 64 are going into a single slush fund. And keep in mind that we'll eventually be talking about a sum in the billion-dollar neighborhood. All of the money in this fund is going to be used only to support the vast bureaucracy that Prop 64 creates. All of the new agencies, police groups, courts, and everything that's going to be required to support the infrastructure created by the 60 pages of fine print in this bill. And who, do you suppose, will uh, have control of this mega-fund for political favors? Well, it's going to be the governor, and uh, that may be why the formerly cool mayor of San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, is, in my opinion, and let me point out again here that everything in this podcast is simply my opinion, well, I think you're certainly free to form your own opinion, however, but in my opinion, our current lieutenant governor is positioning himself to become a very powerful person indeed. But, you say, there are a lot of other people who we also thought were the good guys and who are in support of Prop 64. What's in it for them to uh, support this measure, you ask? Well, I know that it is fashionable for our politicians to maintain that they are in no way influenced by the millions of dollars in campaign donations that they received. And if you actually believe this lie, then, well, you may as well turn the podcast off right now. Because, of course, these big donors have a huge influence on them. Of course they do. So, let's talk about some of the organizations that I once thought were on my side. And let's be very clear here. Many of us speak unkindly about corporate lobbyists and how they are the only people who can actually get an appointment to meet our elected uh, so-called representatives. But in my opinion, groups like Americans for Safe Access, ASA, Normal and the Drug Policy Alliance are also lobbyists. We give them money and then they talk to our politicians about drug policies. I don't know how much you contribute to these groups, but, uh, well, $25 is a lot for me to donate these days uh, now that I'm living primarily on my Social Security check each month. But, uh, obviously, these groups can't pay for their uh, offices, salaries, travel, and entertainment expenses with the pittance that little people like me are able to give. Now, full disclosure here, I've never read the operating statements from any of those organizations. But I have learned that just the Drug Policy Alliance alone 
has been receiving somewhere around $4 million a year from George Soros. Now, maybe it's like with the politicians. Big donors have no influence on their thinking. Believe that if you want to, but you should also know that by far, by far, the one company that will benefit the most from Prop 64 is Monsanto. And from what I understand, George Soros is one of, if not the largest shareholder in Monsanto. You can figure this out on your own, but to me, it looks like old George Soros has pulled a fast one on us, so fuck him. And maybe I should add here why I'm personally against GMOs, which is one of the things that Prop 64 is pushing. Like you, I've heard a lot of arguments both for and against genetic modification of crops. Our corn and soybean crops here in the U.S. are now very close to being 100% GMOs, so uh, maybe their arguments about this frankenfood being safe has some merit. But there's a much, much larger picture here. As you know, if you plant a GMO crop, you're prohibited by force of law from gathering any seeds and replanting. No, each and every year for the rest of your farm's existence, you have to purchase new GMO seeds. Now, I'm a Vietnam vet, and I am really sickened by the fact that each and every day here in the States, there are somewhere around 22 military veterans who take their own lives. That's almost 8,000 suicides a year. But did you know that in India, as a result of what is called the GM genocide, over 125,000 farmers have taken their own lives because they couldn't come up with the money to plant the next year's crop. So even if genetically altered food is safe to eat, which I'm still not sure about, but even so, simply on a humanitarian basis, I'm against big corporations that are making people like George Soros rich on the backs of poor, hard-working farmers. Now I would like to play another short interview for you that explains in more depth what a terrible idea it is to vote in favor of Prop 64. This is an interview with Letitia Pepper, who is a California lawyer, and who also has MS and is a medical marijuana patient. And the fact is that Prop 64 will eliminate the Compassionate Use Act, and it's going to force a huge change for patients who rely on cannabis for their health. And I hope that I'm not out of line here, but I understand that by using medical marijuana instead of the medicine that is normally used to treat MS patients, that over the years, Letitia has now saved her own insurance company, the company who normally would have to pay for her pharmaceutical prescription medicine, she has already saved them over $600,000 by using cannabis instead. So, it seems to me that at the very least her insurance company wouldn't want to see our current medical model thrown out. So here now is an interview that Letitia gave to a man who calls himself Joe Hemp. And... Hey, Joe, I want to thank you for using and posting the Creative Commons license that allows me to use part of your interview with Letitia. Normally, I don't find this kind of courtesy much outside of podcast land. And uh, as you know, I'm still a member of the Texas State Bar, and one of the things that I learned while practicing law is that, well, it's easier to beg forgiveness than it is to ask permission. (laughs) So I usually just have to wing it and hope for the best. But this time, thanks to Joe Hemp, I am legally using a part of this interview with Letitia Pepper that uh, was posted on YouTube and to which I'll be linking in the program notes should you want to listen to the complete interview. Now, here is attorney Letitia Pepper.
I'm actually going to respond to comments that Lanny Swerdlow and other people who are supporting OMA have been telling people. First, let me begin by saying I am an attorney. I am a licensed attorney. I went to Hastings College of the Law, which when I went to it was one of the top 11 schools in the whole country. I wrote onto Law Journal. I got an award as the outstanding substantive editor when I read through people's law review articles and caught things in them that weren't correct and fixed them. And then I worked for three different court of appeal justices in the state of California, and I also worked for a federal district court judge. And I did work for them that involved reading really complicated, complex arguments and documents in which people were intentionally trying to fool us and fool the public. I worked on savings and loan fraud cases, right? So I'm really good at looking at boxes of documents and reading everything and coming up to the right conclusion about what's going on. So I did that with the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. It took me 36 hours as a trained attorney to read it and all of the laws it cites. And so what's going on is all these people like Lanny Swerdlow and Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris are running around and just telling people orally, this is what this law is going to do. They're not attorneys. They're not trained to do this kind of legal work anyway because not all attorneys do this. And then the last thing is, Whose interests are they representing when they tell you what this law is going to do? And I have put out on the Internet where anybody can get it, and I am sure that Joe Hemp will give you a picture somewhere that will give you the website so you can find it. It's the whole text of the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in black and white but with red comments, my comments in red, showing you exactly where they're trying to trick you. So one of the sections that you want to look at is a relatively short section, way down towards the end. It's called Section 10, Amendment. And what it does, it gives the state legislature the right to change pretty much anything in the Adult Use of Marijuana Act except its purpose. And its purpose is to raise tax money. It says it right there. So they're not going to change the purpose. They don't want to anyway which is the tax control and regulate marijuana as much as possible. And when I say marijuana, I mean all marijuana. They are trying to tell people that medical marijuana patients are exempt. They have protections. You have no protections at all under OMA. One reason you don't have those protections is that Section 10 lets them amend the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And it will specifically say, right, that the sections that give people rights, the sections that purport to give recreational users, adult users' rights, and the section that purports to give medical marijuana patients rights, those are sections 5 and 6, I believe, it specifically allows those sections to be changed, not with a two-thirds majority vote, but with a simple majority vote. That means if you have 100 people in the legislature, it only takes 51% of them, 51 votes, in order to take away all the rights that you think you're getting under OMA. Because OMA doesn't give you any constitutionally protected rights. It gives you what would be called privileges. Privileges are things like your privilege to drive. That's a matter of legislation. And the legislature can change any kind of legislation it wants. And you know what? If Lanny Swerdlow says, and now all of us stupid stoners are going to have to get off our asses and fight with the legislature, do you want to do that? No, you don't because you can't win those fights because you'll have no protection when the Compassionate Use Act is ended by the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. It will end the Compassionate Use Act. 
we wanted to keep our rights that took people a lot of work to get into place. It took a lot of work and money to get the Compassionate Use Act enacted. And the people who wrote it were very clever. They protected all of us by saying, you know what? You just need a doctor's recommendation or approval to be able to use marijuana. Why is that important? Because guess what? The relationship between you and your doctor is like the relationship between you and your priest. It's protected by privacy. They cannot make doctors turn over that information. The recreational use, you have no protection of privacy at all. So back to the original question, right? It allows the legislature to amend, and there's no limit on what they can do. The only limit is that they can't mess with the purpose, and the purpose is tax control and regulate all marijuana. They can't back off of tax controlling and regulating marijuana. They can't do that. But everything else, like the rights, which are privileges that are going to give people to grow, they can take them all away, right? They can take away your right to possess and use marijuana if they want to. So that is what OMA does. But the Compassionate Use Act, the way it was written, it's only two pages long. It's easy to read. It's easy to understand. It wasn't intended to be a trick. And what it says is, The legislature has no right to amend it. All they can do is they can adopt legislation to carry out its purpose, which is safe and affordable access. It can make access safer and more affordable. It's not allowed to make it less affordable and less safe, which is exactly what the MMRSA, the Medical Marijuana Safety and Regulation Act, is doing. When you tell people you can't grow marijuana for yourself, you're not making it safer for them. You're not making it less expensive for them. You're doing just the opposite. So MRSA is unconstitutional. And the Compassionate Use Act says... The legislature can't change this law we've made for ourselves to protect ourselves. They're not allowed to change these things. And the legislature, by adopting MRSA, and then by trying to push the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, it's all designed to take away the rights we, as citizens, created for ourselves and everybody else in California. Our own government has turned against us. But there's an even more fundamental reason that this is not lawful, this thing letting counties ban or not ban. Here's the reason. The state of California itself could not ban people's ability to grow marijuana because the Compassion Use Act says, and the California Supreme Court in People v. Kelly upheld this, people have a constitutionally protected right, protected under the California Constitution, to grow, possess, and use as much marijuana as they need for their medicinal purpose. So the state of California could not ban people from carrying out that protected right. If the state of California can't do that, how can the state of California give its political subdivisions, because cities and and counties only have the power they have because they are subdivisions of the state. The state cannot authorize subdivisions to do what it itself cannot do. So this whole thing about the bans, you know, the case where uh, it was the city of Riverside versus Inland Empire Patients Health and Wellness Center, you know what? The reason that opinion is just wrong is because, and I used to work for these people, I know what they do, they leave out the stuff that hurts their opinion. They just leave it out as though it doesn't exist. They never talked about the fact that if the state of California can't ban this, how can it How can it give permission to its political subdivisions to do something that it can't do? Because, yeah, they have police powers, but guess what? Police powers aren't unlimited. Does anybody think that because cities and counties have police powers that they could declare that uh, constitutional provisions like the laws about search and seizure don't apply anymore because they have police powers? No, they can't break the law in the name of police powers. So one of the things they're doing, for example, is they say, well, uh, it's a nuisance. It's a public nuisance to let people grow marijuana in their own yard or their own house. You know, we're going to ban it as a public nuisance. Guess what? The California Constitution actually has provisions in it that talk about that. And basically what they say is, if the state of California has authorized an activity, 
Cities and counties can't declare it as a public nuisance. If it's authorized by state law, they can't pass local laws saying, well, it might be okay for you to do it under state law, but we're going to make it illegal under our local laws. No, they can't do that. And that also is something that was never discussed in that opinion that everybody says, oh, it says we can ban this. That's because the opinion didn't discuss all of the relevant facts and law, which I used to work for these people. And that's what they would do when they wanted to write an opinion to screw people, okay? And that's what they're doing. But part of the problem is, and this came up at the meeting I went to about the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act. When people were asking specific detailed questions like this, they kept saying, well, we're working on the regulations. We're working on the regulations. We don't have anything yet. So in terms of how OMA would be interpreted, a lot of that can be interpreted by the rulemaking procedures. So if they want to say, when it says you can grow marijuana indoors, but it isn't clear about whether you could use a, a greenhouse and what is a greenhouse it doesn't say so they can easily adopt a regulation that says well what it means is it has to be in a structure that's as secure as a house which means it has to have solid walls a solid roof and it has to be lockable and all those things so and the other thing at this MRSA meeting they said was well it's kind of up to your local jurisdiction and so if your local jurisdiction wants to say uh, a greenhouse means something with a solid walls solid floor a uh, solid roof because it's supposed to protect children, right? You know, children can get a knife and cut through those the, the plastic uh, of a greenhouse, right? So your local jurisdiction can easily go, well, our interpretation of all these rules means it can't be a greenhouse that can be kept through or the windows can be broken because they're glass or that doesn't have a roof. So the, the problem with OMA is it leaves a lot of things that can be easily resolved against us. And does everybody here want to have to sue their local jurisdiction? We can't afford to do that. We don't have the time to do that. That's one reason this is terrible, you know. What, are you going to make patients who are already, many of them are on really low fixed income, come up with the money to do indoor growing? That's not going to happen. Not only is it bad for them, it's bad for the environment because we have to produce more electricity. It's bad for another reason. People I know who are really sick, who use marijuana and use a lot of it, they have told me, that the marijuana that has worked best for them, it's like one and a half times as good as stuff grown in warehouses, is marijuana grown outdoors organically in full range of sunlight and for the full length of time the plant would normally want to grow. Instead of being forced, so you get three or four crops in a warehouse, grow it outside, it has one and a half times the medical value. That's why people should not be forced to give up their right to grow it the way they want to. If that's what works for them, they should be allowed to do it. But I do know that there is a ton of corruption going on. I'm hearing from people in other cities. I've heard from somebody who is trying to do an initiative to open up one of the cities. I won't say which one. And the mayor of that city had a meeting with one of the people who's doing the initiative to say, you know what, uh, I want more dispensaries than you want. Like I want three instead of one, and I want to run the two that we want as extra ones. I mean, people are shameless. I also know, and that's happening in more than one city, I've talked to a couple of people, including uh, out in Palm Springs, who've been talking to the FBI, and people up in Sacramento who've been talking to the FBI about what's going on. Now, what the FBI is going to do about it, I don't know. But, you know, corruption is when corruption means something that's going on at the political level, and that's where this is going on. The people who are the people the state is turning things over to. In fact, at this MRSA meeting um, today in Riverside, there was someone there filming it. And I can't wait to get a copy. I hope I can get a copy of what he filmed. Because people at the meeting were demanding to know what is the 
Bureau of Medical Marijuana Control going to do, or Medical Marijuana Regulation, whatever they're calling themselves, what are you guys going to do about ending this corruption? We know the corruption's going on. People brought up stories at the meeting. What are you going to do? And you know what? They don't have an answer for how to deal with corruption. And some woman sitting in the front row said, well, corruption's illegal. We don't have to control it. It's illegal. And everybody in the audience, I'm sure, was like me, like, you know, illegal things go on all the time, and the fact they're illegal is not making them stop. But the fact that politicians are going to try and tell you, well, it's illegal, so it's not going to happen. Politicians are the source of corruption. Corruption is specifically related to political taking money by politicians in control. So is the Bureau of Marijuana Regulation and Control going to do anything about that? And you know what? OMA was written so that it has no protection for anybody for using or growing marijuana. There's no protection from child protective services. There's no protection from um, the, in divorce court. There's no protection from your employers. There's no protection at all. And they're lying to people. They're at least admitting, well, there's no protection for any regular adult recreational users, but patients have protections. That isn't true either. If you read my analysis, it explains why. Because they say, well, as long as you patients are complying with the Compassionate Use Act, you're protected. But what they aren't telling you is, if OMA passes, it takes out the Compassionate Use Act. The Compassionate Use Act cannot coexist with the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. It wipes it out. And they are lying to people when they try and say, oh, no, no, see the words in here where it says the Compassionate Use Act? That, you know what, nothing in OMA is intended to affect the laws pertaining to the Compassionate Use Act. And they're pointing to that saying, see, we're protecting you. That is a lie. Because if they wanted to protect you under the Compassionate Use Act, OMA would say nothing in OMA is intended to repeal, amend, alter, or affect the Compassionate Use Act, or any of the rights it provides to patients. It doesn't say that. It says it's not intended to affect the laws that pertain to the Compassionate Use Act. The laws that pertain to the Compassionate Use Act are not the Compassionate Use Act. That's like saying that laws that pertain to the contract you signed to buy a car are not affected by this act. But it's not the same as saying this act doesn't affect the contract itself. Because that's what OMA is intended to do. It's intended to wipe out your rights under the Compassionate Use Act. Uh, <laughs> gosh, there's so many things I could say about that. Well, theoretically they do, right? But the government does illegal things all the time, and you have to sue them to stop them. So, for example, local governments, uh, we enacted a, a, a proposition, Prop 218, to stop them from adding uh, to your utility bill illegal taxes that weren't submitted to the voter for a vote. And you know what they did? They went ahead and added them anyway, and for years they've been getting away with it. And you know what? They had the help of the California League of Cities, which helped them figure out how to do this, and then gave them a legal opinion saying, oh, no, it's okay to do this. It isn't. And they've been finally sued over that, but it took years, years to, to stop any cities from doing that. So in terms of them adding illegal taxes to marijuana, oh, my gosh. What are we going to have to do? Fight this battle at each city, each county level, saying, you know, this tax you added to marijuana is illegal? This is crazy. You know, the citizens were at war with our own government, the state government, the county, the city governments. I have told people that people who use cannabis, we are the niggers of the 21st century. Because what's going on with related to marijuana when we have protected rights under the California Constitution and our own state our own local governments have been violating those constitutional rights. 
And that's just what happened after the slaves were freed and they got equal rights. Remember? Remember that? That actually happened. They got constitutional equal rights. And what happened was that their local governments, their state governments, their local governments, they passed Jim Crow laws to take away those rights. And how long did it take them to get those rights back? And it took people being murdered in Mississippi. It took people being fired on by water canyons, attacked by, by dogs. It took a great leader like Martin Luther to lead people against those laws. That took years. Are we going to have to do that too? We are. If people vote to adopt the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, they are putting us in the same position that people were put in to try and defend their rights to equal protection under the federal constitution. We're facing that same battle here. If OMA passes, it's, you know what? I know people who have left California. They've moved out in fear and they've moved to Colorado. But I told them, hey, you know what? Colorado can do the same thing. You might as well stand and fight in California. Well, actually, if you read both of these things, you will see that the MMRSA isn't actually supposed to take total effect until 2018. Why is that? That's because so much of it is unconstitutional that unless OMA passes, it's all subject to being taken out via lawsuits, bit by bit. That's what we did with the last time the legislature passed an unconstitutional law that violated the Compassionate Use Act. People brought cases against it. What was happening was people who were patients, right, were being prosecuted as criminals in violation of the Compassionate Use Act. And in criminal cases, people have a right to an appointed attorney. They can't afford one, they get an appointed attorney. And those appointed attorneys across the whole state of California were bringing appeals saying, you know what, this whole prosecution violates the Compassionate Use Act. That's how we got good laws like People v. Kelly, right? Because people got a free attorney for a criminal appeal to fight their case. Now, one of the things that's going to happen here is that while they are going to prosecute people, for sure, under the criminal laws, if OMA passes, there is no defense left. All those cases where we got good case law were based on the Compassionate Use Act. OMA wipes that out. So these people who are going to take appeals, they have no weapons to use. The weapons are taken away. So that's how uh, OMA locks MRSA into place, but it not only locks it in place, it, it locks it into place, but only in this sense. It legitimizes everything that is unconstitutional and immersive by taking out the Compassionate Use Act, but then what it does is it turns everything back over to the legislature. So, for example, MRSA with its 17 different kinds of licenses and they're not going to let any of the big boys come in and play for five years, that's all gone. They don't have to follow any of that stuff. So this thing about the fancy stuff, all these licenses and people can participate and it'll only be California people allowed to participate, that doesn't last. When OMA passes, it's all gone. All the stuff you think, the good stuff that some people think they're getting under MRSA, that's gone too. Oh, it's worse than the evil twin. It's like the evil body that the soul of MRSA can slip into the body like being demon-possessed. I'm sorry, it's not just a twin. It's like the glove that goes over the hand, right? It is bad. MRSA makes it illegal to give marijuana away, and OMA makes it illegal to give marijuana away. So they created these clubs with this name, Brownie Mary. So when Brownie Mary Democratic Clubs endorse the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, which is what they're trying to do right now, and they're going to do it, and I may have to sue at least our club for doing it, it was done so that then the Democratic Party can tell all of these people out there who don't know much about marijuana and they don't really care, but they are in favor of medical marijuana and they want to support people who are sick, right? They can use the name of Brownie Mary to mislead people and think that patients support the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. A total lie. 
what's so bad with it is that what people don't realize, if you think about what's happened between 1996 and now, all the positive things that have happened, all the people who've been able to use marijuana, who've started a collective, who got into all these businesses, right? Why have they been able to do that? Because Prop 215 decriminalized, it decriminalized, it didn't legalize, it decriminalized marijuana for anybody who became a patient, and it's very easy to become a patient. So it was the perfect answer. And so if people want to have that same right that we have under Prop 215, they don't want to legalize marijuana. What you want to do is decriminalize marijuana for everybody, whether they're a patient or not. And that's what the Jack Hare Initiative was supposed to do. But you know what? Why is it that Normal and ASA never would support the Jack Hare Initiative if they really want to free people from arrest and prosecution for personal possession, uh, cultivation, and use of marijuana? That would have done it, right? But they don't want that because they don't want to free people. Normal, you know, the, the nickname for Normal, which is supposedly the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, people call it the National Organization for Referral to Marijuana Lawyers. OMA is going to create so much more business for attorneys and it's not going to be worthwhile because under the Compassionate Use Act, they actually had something to work with as a defense for people, right? But under OMA, you don't have any defense anymore. There are no more medical marijuana patients, period. That's why OMA is bad. It takes away what protections we have had that people could actually use. I said to my city council when they adopted their unconstitutional local ordinance, I went, I said on TV, I said, you know what, this is unconstitutional under the Compassionate Use Act, which is still the law in California. I have a right to grow as much marijuana as I need for myself and my mother. And I'm going to, because I could say that because I knew I had a defense. If OMA passes, that's all gone. And you should not even bother to hire an attorney to help you. Oh, wow, this is the biggest scandal. And I can't understand why no newspaper has started to cover this yet. So, folks, contact your local, uh, you know, media outlet and say, hey, how come you're not talking about this? OMA is specifically written, and if you look at my analysis, you'll see it has, and you know, if you know how to search a document where you can type in a word on the Internet and look for the word, look for the words Special Trust Fund, Special Trust Fund. OMA has a section in it that talks about the Special Trust Fund because all of the revenue from marijuana, that means not only taxes, but fines, asset forfeiture, any money that comes in because of marijuana. So they wanted to get the money instead of it all going to the federal government. No, it continues. But here's the thing. That money, it all goes, it doesn't, normally tax money goes into our general fund. And we have adopted, as voters, we have adopted a few initiatives that said, you know what, we want a certain amount of the tax money to go to uh, public schools. We want a certain amount to go to community colleges and to state universities. OMA is specifically written to say, notwithstanding any laws, meaning those other provisions we've already adopted, notwithstanding that, none of the tax money goes into those places. It all goes into the special trust fund that is totally under the control of the next governor. And who wants to be the next governor? Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom. And that's why he's telling all the Democrats, vote for this. He's not telling them why. He's going to let them think it's because it's a good thing for them. If you're a Democratic voter, but you would like to see your tax money going to your local schools, if you'd like to see it go into the general fund for our infrastructure, if you want to end the drug war and start high and stop hiring more police, you don't want to vote for this. This is a terrible initiative. It's designed to put all the money into the hands of the Democratic Party, who will then put it in the hands of the police, who then are going to be arresting people to make more money by fining people. 
No, you're not going to want to do that because you can be arrested for doing that. They're telling everybody, oh, you'll all be able to grow six plants. But what they aren't telling you is that once you pass for that, pass OMA, it destroys your constitutionally protected right to grow and use marijuana. It destroys it. It replaces the, it replaces the Compassionate Use Act with the Adult Use Act, right? It replaces it. And once that happens, you have no constitutionally protected right to grow marijuana. It's all gone. It's just a privilege they can take away with, like I said, a simple majority vote. And you don't think they'll do that? These are the same people who passed MRSA, the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act. They passed it, taking away people's right to grow, putting it in the hands of local jurisdictions that are banning it. You think your state legislature won't screw with you? They are totally waiting for the opportunity to do this so they get control of all the revenue. And who will be producing the revenue? All of us will produce revenue either by going and buying at state-controlled places that will sell marijuana at high tax rates or we'll be producing revenue because we will be busted because we'll have more than five nanograms of THC on board when they do their DUI checkpoints. They won't be looking for impairment. All it will take is the amount of marijuana you have, the, the THC, whether you're impaired or not, and you will get busted and have to go through the DUI system. And you know what? That's real expensive. And that's why there are not a bunch of lawyers out there going, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible, because it's going to bring more work for attorneys. I am not kidding you. Ah, that's just what we need. More work for our poor attorneys. (laughs) Maybe I should think about leaving retirement and going back into the practice of law. What do you think? By the way, uh, the copy of the Adult Use of Marijuana Act that uh, Letitia annotated was a bit hard to find, and so I've added a copy to our website, and you'll find a link to it in today's program notes at psychedelicsalon.com. And even if you don't plan on reading the entire bill, I believe that you will find her annotated version quite helpful. Her comments are in red, and uh, that makes it quite easy to follow her criticism of the act. Now, uh, let's take a step back for a moment and regroup a bit. It was just three weeks ago uh, that when I was asked about Prop 64, I was uh, very nonchalant about it. After all, I'm a medical marijuana patient already, so I felt that I was already taken care of, and now everyone else over 21 would also be able to use cannabis legally. But as we have just learned, that's completely wrong. And now that I know the truth, it's almost impossible for me to remember how uninterested I was in the discussion about Prop 64 just a short time ago. In other words, I was your typical uninformed voter who doesn't bother to get involved in issues that seem to be going my way. Little did I know at the time that I was being set up to have my medical rights taken away from me. And to be honest, I was probably a little dismissive of people who were against Prop 64. So how, I wondered, do I present the thinking of people like I was just a few weeks ago? Well, fortunately, we have a good example of what I was like before I took the time to look into Prop 64 in more depth. My good friend Tom Barbelay and I were uh, talking about it, and Tom offered to discuss it with his co-host in his podcast, Stone Ape, which you can find at www.nobleape.com stone. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm picking on Tom's co-host here because, well, he sounds very much like I did not so long ago. So I'm going to call him our typical uninformed medical marijuana patient. Someone, as you'll hear in a moment, who is uh, somewhat whistling past the graveyard because he still believes that our current medical situation will continue, which you now know it won't. So we have been asked specifically, I mean, we were going to talk about it anyway, 
But we were asked specifically by Lorenzo Haggerty in the Psychedelic Salon, longtime fan of Lorenzo's work, to discuss the what I'm calling the cannabis commercialization measure prop <laughs> 64 in California. Yeah. And it's interesting, actually, because I had my own impression of it, particularly with regards to what went on in Washington State recently. And specifically, what happened in Washington State was they effectively removed the medical cannabis provisions. They closed all the medical yeah. dispensaries. And they have this crazy thing which is supposed to be, I don't let me just describe it, where four people can get together and buy clone plants and grow them in a medical collective. But the whole nature of, like, seeds or potentially changing well, why these even things. bother with any of that shit i mean who, who needs it if, <laughs> if it's legal then fuck that well because you of know, the cost you... <laughs> well whatever you know again that's all caterpillar politics bullshit what else would you expect from this system i've looked at the original proposition proposition 215 here as being a curious mechanism but in terms of simplicity and yeah. in terms of what it attempts to guarantee, although the legislator in California have already tried to change this by you know, <laughs> passing various things, it's all very curious. But what specifically happened in Washington State was that they had this ability where the legislature could change the law, whether or not it's constitutional, what have you, they did it. And clearly the folks that were doing the commercial cannabis were making more money even though they were paying more tax, but they were making more money, and they were able to lobby for the elimination of the medical. So for folks listening in who don't have a clue about what any of this means, yeah. typically medical is very low restriction. It's designed to be... It's a joke. Well, <laughs> it might be a joke, but, I mean, it, it, it provides what is necessary associated with... Well, it's there for people who need it. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, it's, it is quite useful. I find it quite useful mm. medically, actually. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, imagine, yeah. imagine we were having this conversation in Washington State and rather than paying what you're paying currently, you were paying roughly double yeah. and had restrictions associated with what you could buy and where you could oh, buy. Oh, listen, it's better than getting thrown in jail. Well, I, it's always better than getting thrown in jail. You're right. I mean, you know. Listen, this is just, I don't know. I just can't get this upset about it because mm. it just seems like, well, duh, what do you expect from this culture? I mean, that's... <laughs> Yes, of course, that's what they're going to do. But it's the alternative is illegality, putting people in jail, uh, drug cartels. Well, but the you know the people that are very critical of Prop sixty four, yeah, say quite clearly that these things that you don't want to happen could happen through this proposition. Oh, of course they could. You know, any goddamn the thing. You know, the thing is, really, I don't give a shit. I mean, I lived for years when I could have gone to jail, and I managed to find it and smoke mm. it, you know, without mm. any problem. So, I mean, really, it's just about minimizing the likelihood of me going to jail, mm. you know. And that's pretty unlikely. I mean, the way it is is just fine with me. It, you know, that's good enough. You know, I don't really need so if that disappears and it's replaced with something different, more expensive, well, requiring different kind of regulation, different uh, representation. Well, it, all sorts of possibilities, you know. But again, it, either way, I don't much give a shit because there still is an illegal market. Hmm. <laughs> I, I think, isn't there? There still is an illegal market. That's exactly the point. Yeah. That this actually hasn't eroded an illegal market at all. 
No. Well, it's for, no, I'm sure it's eroded it. <laughs> for goddamn sure it's eroded it, but it hasn't eliminated it. Mm. Well, the statistics are interesting associated with what happened to the market, particularly in Colorado and what happened to the market in Washington State. Uh-huh. And here I I recently, four or five months ago, observed a, a dope deal in a local shopping center. <laughs> so people are clearly still buying weed in volume illegally. Uh, or legally. I mean, shit, I can buy quite a bit. And I could turn around and resell it right now. I well, mean, it's illegal, but yeah. th- th- I could, there's nothing to stop me from doing that. They'll the, sell me as much as I want. The, well, if you read Prop 64 in a negative light, yeah. that may be coming to an end. Well, well, that may be. Mm. Listen, uh, you know, ultimately, like I say, as long as I don't end up in jail, and, and I don't get that much out of it anymore anyway. It's just a, mm. a, a, a it's sort of a different kind of issue. Mm. You know? Yeah. Th- we need to kill capitalism. Obviously, that's but that's a separate issue. In the meantime, let's not put people in jail for um, you know smoking pot. So putting people in jail is still part of the Prop sixty four initiative. It sounds like you're unswayed by any argument. No, it's no. I I'm no. I I don't know. I I don't know who. The thing is, it depends on who you listen to. I'm not gonna. That's I mean the issue. I'm not an attorney. I I'm mm-hmm. not gonna. I'm not going to take the time. Uh, fuck it. I'll ignore the whole thing. It's not that important to me. Like I say, well, the way it is, we're fucking it, it's illegal again. I'll survive. It's no big deal. Well, I've got to interrupt here just to say that while I do think that Prop 64 is a really big deal, I'm in agreement with Mr. Uninformed that there will always be the so-called black market, the underground. And I also agree that corporate capitalism has no place in the marijuana business because, well, when it comes to cartels, there's really no bigger cartel on the planet today than Monsanto. And Prop 64 is basically designed to turn over as much corporate control of the marijuana business to Monsanto as is possible. And so our uninformed voter is correct, in my opinion, to keep his connections to the underground. Because if Prop 64 passes, uh, well, the only way you're going to find decent cannabis is on the black market. So now's the time to find and to support your local neighborhood grower. I also found it interesting that our typical uninformed patient, first of all, thinks that our current medical marijuana law is a joke, but then he goes on to say that he finds it quite useful in managing his own pain. Hmm, now that's an interesting take on it. A joke that helps relieve pain. Now let's get back to Tom's podcast. I guess my I guess my point is that you talked about coming out very positively and voting for this. Yeah, yeah. I don't know anything about it other than the fact that it's not gonna it's, it's gonna remove you know all the well you know I, I I don't know anything about it. I read you know a couple things you know it sounded like it uh, would not make it a crime to buy that anybody over twenty one could buy marijuana. It's specific. Is that not it's, true? It's specific. Well, it regulates very closely how they can buy it, and it also minimizes the yeah. What does it quantity. have to be? State-operated stores or something? Well, they have to be. They have to fall in within the regulation. Okay, so so I mean, it's basically the same way the medical thing is. Only it's just going to be not medical. It's just going to be a well, state. Well, it may problem. it may also encompass, which is what happened to Washington was that what was originally distinct, medical and yeah. non-medical, all became 
nor medical eventually. Yeah, I don't see any point in having a medical side other than, you know, you and your doctor can talk about whether it might be useful to smoke a little weed. So <laughs> yeah. I guess my general concern associated with this view is I'd like to see circumstances where the price of cannabis dropped dramatically. I think nice. the cost of cannabis is excessive and it is equivalent in this state and most others well, yeah, to it that's being illegal. Just, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, if, if this legislation goes through, this legislation has anti-competitive practices associated with not only pegging the well, price. Well, we can of always cannabis. change that too, you know. I well, mean, when you say we, it's not like it's you and me; it's the legislature here in voting well, conditions. Well, listen, listen, I just can't get all that worked up about this. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's what it gets down okay. to. So, is that is not? Gonna, I mean, it would make a difference. To, I mean, the way it is right now is just fine. But this is changing the way it is right now. Yeah, I understand that. So uh, if it fails, then it'll stay the way it is, which is just fine. And if it passes and it eliminates the medical benefits that you've seen... Well, I haven't, it has nothing to do with medical benefits. Well, sorry, the I benefits... pay a guy 60 or 80 bucks so that I can go buy some, you know, another 60 or 80 bucks worth of weed. Okay, so if you pay a guy... 120 bucks, so you can buy 200 bucks worth of weed, which is the same weed as you're paying yeah, currently. Yeah, that well, that would concern? not make me happy, no. Okay. And if that facility was then taken away from you and you then had to go to an even more expensive method... Well, then by that time, well, no, I probably would have found other sources by then. Right. So your view <laughs> is basically if they if they do things that are punitive to you, you're just going to move back to the old market. Why not? Why wouldn't I? Right. It's interesting, actually. I mean, it's just not something I, I intend to spend my time to invest myself in mm. and what other Californians vote one way or another, what the thing is, how it's interpreted, what happens six months from now as a result of that, whether it's constitutional or not. But, you know, I just haven't got – there are just other things that are more interesting to me than getting involved in all of that bullshit. You know, I just don't care. Uh, if I want – grass i'll find it hmm. <laughs> it's just really that simple it can be easy and cheap or it can be uh, a little more thrilling and more expensive but i don't smoke that much of it anyway so it's not that big a deal to me i've got to interrupt here once again to point out the real problem that any proposition faces is the apathy of the voters you just heard our typical uninformed voter say that he really didn't care what this law does to anyone else because he already had his black market connections and would be just fine. And to hell with the rest of the state's medical marijuana patients, I guess. Well, unfortunately, that is a very common attitude these days. All too many people are saying this, and that it's someone else's problem. And even though they claim to be part of our communities, they actually only care about their own problems and not those of others who are in a different situation than they are. Here's an example. Where do you stand on Black Lives Matter? Unless you are a person of color, you probably haven't given it a lot of thought. And to be honest, as a Caucasian, I realize that I don't have the street cred necessary to become directly involved on the ground in uh, some of the issues that they support. And yes, I am very much aware of the immense difficulties involved in being a law enforcement officer right now. And while it's easy to become emotionally involved when an unarmed black man is gunned down by a rogue cop, I also have many friends in law enforcement who have pointed out to me the lose-lose situation that they now find themselves in. And we have a lot of ex and former military and first responders here in the salon. 
These are truly decent people whose main purpose in life is to protect civilians from danger. And if you've ever been in a situation where a law enforcement officer came to your aid in an emergency, well, then you too know how important it is to support them. On the other hand, it isn't difficult for me to understand why the black community is outraged at what's going on. For example, during this entire century from 2001 through last month, the police in the UK have fired a total of 80 bullets. That's 80 bullets fired during a period of more than 1,000 months. But just last month in the U.S., the land of the free, there have been 100 of our citizens who have been killed by the police. And as we know, they haven't all been criminals. No wonder the black communities are pissed off. I am too. But what can an old white guy like me do about it? Well, I've decided to focus on doing what I can to end the war on drugs. Because by far, by far, people of color are the ones who are suffering the most. We just heard our typical uninformed voter say that he had successfully avoided the law during the time before medical marijuana became available. My guess is that if he were black, he probably wouldn't have been so lucky. So I'm suggesting here that we all find at least one issue that we can believe in and do a little more than just support that position uh, every two years when we vote. In case you haven't noticed, uh, the world today is a complete mess. And it's not going to get any better unless we shed our apathy, become involved, and finally stand up and be counted. I'm going to read something now that Bruce Lipton wrote last May. You may remember Bruce Lipton as the author, uh, among many other books, of the bestseller titled The Biology of Belief. And if you haven't yet read it, I suggest that you do, because uh, it's really a great book. But if you're still sitting on the sidelines in whatever struggle is most important to you, then listen to what Bruce Lipton has to say. In the book Spontaneous Evolution, Steve Barman and I emphasize that the behavior of our current civilization has so adversely altered the environment, we are now facing the planet's sixth mass extinction. An important consideration is that a needed sustainable civilization cannot be built on the faulty cultural foundations responsible for generating today's global crisis. The period of transition, as a decaying civilization gives way to an emerging civilization, is marked by behavioral chaos. Watch the news lately? Welcome to the evolution. Nowhere is this more evident than in the Trump-Clinton presidential race, a reality TV show that represents a major symptom of a country on the brink of upheaval. There are many factors contributing to the required downfall of our civilization. In the past, I have emphasized that the activities and collusions of the pharmaceutical and industrial farming corporations are knowingly undermining the health and intelligence of the population. The motivation for the actions of the one percenters controlling these industries is for more than just greed. It is also an effort to suppress the unrest now brewing among the nutritionally, economically, and intellectually impaired 99% of the population. I'm not the only voice in the wilderness trying to bring this knowledge to the public. While the efforts of my colleagues and myself have had some small impact, it has been hard to reach the general population finally a head of state. In fact, one of the superpowers has now championed this cause. He stated that, and I quote, we as a species have the choice to continue to develop our bodies and brains in a healthy upward trajectory, 
Or we can follow the Western example of recent decades and intellectually poison our population with genetically altered food, pharmaceuticals, vaccinations, and fast food that should be classified as a dangerous addictive drug. He further described the average government-controlled Westerner as an intensely vaccinated borderline autistic fat man slumped in front of a screen battling a high fructose corn syrup come down. While his statements will raise the hackles of the average American, the fact is Russian President Vladimir Putin is right. Vladimir Putin? Even I am surprised I'm quoting Putin. But the truth is, he's correct in his assumptions. According to CDC statistics, in 2013, prescription drugs, including alcohol, tobacco, and opioids, regulated by the government, are responsible for 482,636 deaths per year in the states, while illegal drugs, heroin and cocaine, only killed 13,201 people. The total number of deaths attributed to marijuana in that same period is zero. In fact, pharmaceutical drug side effects are a leading cause of illness in this country, illness due to medical treatment, which in itself is the third leading cause of death in the states, according to uh, statistics provided by the American Medical Association. If there is a war on drugs, then by all means it should be directed toward the pharmaceutical industry. Among the many industrial food products that have a negative impact on our health, high fructose corn syrup has been shown to profoundly impair behavior and interfere with learning when when compared to the use of conventional sugar. Interestingly, corn syrup production is a crop subsidized by the government. Citizens' tax money is used to reduce the cost of this product so the poorest households in our country can massively consume it and in the process be quieted down. In response to the population's efforts of securing healthy, nutrient-enriched food that does not undermine the health of the planet, Putin is giving away land for free to people willing to farm using biodynamic, organic, and sustainable technology. Putin has already put a stop to the production of all GMO-containing foods, which the international community perceived as a major step in the fight against multinational corporations like Monsanto. His long-range vision is for Russia to become the world's leading exporter of non-GMO foods produced using ecologically clean practices. Putin's claim that vaccines are directly associated with health issues are in contrast to the frantic efforts of the industry-sponsored research to dispel that belief. Recently, a court in Italy bucked the system by ruling that common MMR vaccines are the cause of autism. Interestingly, this ruling was blacked out by the U.S. news media to so-called protect the public from what the powers-to-be consider a bad idea. Putin's study revealed that there is a huge conflict of interest between the government agencies, in our case the FDA and CDC, that regulate vaccines and the corporations that approve and implement the vaccines. The problem with Putin's criticism of our health and food production methods is Putin. After years of experiencing Putin's strong-arm tactics and inflaming rhetoric, the West has turned a blind eye to anything that comes from his office. Unfortunately, 
Putin's accusations are actually true, and we will, as usual, dismiss his claims as more communist political saber-rattling. Yet, the writing is now on the wall, and we must ultimately deal with these issues in order to secure a vibrant, healthy future for our families and ourselves. Personally, I see Putin's bad news as good news. While the general population would prefer to ignore his comments, the younger, millennial generation, whose future is in the greatest jeopardy, is forging a new path that will enable them to recover their personal power and take charge of their health. Instead of yelling foul over his remarks, I would rather say, Thanks, Putin. We needed that. With love and light, Bruce Lipton. So, uh, as you hear and read about how the U.S. now seems determined to start another war with Russia, which they seem hell-bent on doing, maybe you should take the time to learn a little bit more about why our politicians want another Cold War, or possibly even a hot one. Not that we don't have enough wars on our hands already. But before I close today, I first want to return to a few more minutes of the conversation between Tom Barbelay and our typical uninformed voter. So my perspective is, that's a legal herb. So why don't we use basil as an example of a legal herb and say, well, if it's legalization, then let's make it like basil. And you could write half a page to be put to the voters. Yeah, it's real, yeah it could be very simple. Yeah. yeah. But the, that's the thing is it's, yeah, but see, that's in a reasonable world. That probably just ain't going to happen. Well, know? I don't know. I mean, I guess my people are not, no, you know, <laughs> people are not ready for actual sensible thinking yet. That's not going to work. Very good. We just got to take what we can get wherever we can, you know? Fair enough, Aaron. <laughs> well, I predicted that this might happen and it has happened. So we will move what on from happened? this topic. I said to but Lorenzo it, that we could do some degree of analytics associated with this stuff, but I said if it doesn't work out, I'll just record a yeah. short phone call too. Um, well, what what needs to be said about it? I guess my perspective is we are providing some degree of analytical information to our listeners associated with this thing. Oh, see, I don't give a shit. No, to me, this is you and me having a conversation. I understand. Fuck. I understand. <laughs> but, I mean, in, in a friendly conversation, typically... The requirements of both participants is that certain ideas oh, yeah, can be it helps and discussed. Well, both interested in talking exactly. about the same thing. And if one person isn't interested, we might as well just move. On, well, right? if you could find some interest in the, I mean, I have nothing against the the issue. I mean, it it brought it up for me in mm. in looking at this. I realized that I really don't know anything about the law. Yeah, you know, and that. All I can do is decide which of their smiling faces or bag-covered heads, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I want to believe or I like or yeah. I have some sympathy for. I guess you know? my perspective is slightly different because I think, I mean, my interest associated with this whole thing, and we've discussed this in a few prior recordings, is associated with how little is actually known associated with this particular plant. Like, there's a whole lot of like folksy knowledge, which is conveyed through folks that yeah. move yeah, it would through be nice to actually turn science on, wouldn't it? It would be nice. <laughs> yeah. And the diversity, I mean, this, this plant is like a dog. It has so many different yeah. permutations yeah, yeah, and appearances. Yeah, yeah right, that's a good analogy, yeah. <laughs> and what we're dealing with here, primarily because of the illegal like money-making, which has tried to translate itself to legal money-making, is only a very small portion of this particular pooch. Right? Oh we yeah, well, know, yeah, that's yeah. the whole point. Is that the, the real issues are are, ca- are capitalism? Exactly. Actually. Well, capitalism has completely perturbed this thing, yeah. right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just yeah, drugs are irrelevant. It, it's capitalism, and and the the end of the age of capitalism is not going to be easy. Mm. <laughs> mm. Although you never can tell, you know. I mean, I think also it encompasses. I mean, so much of what I see in terms of stop and frisk policing and things like this. I mean, <laughs> any new laws, and there are sixty plus pages of new law here, is going to be enforced by the same people that pull guns on people and shoot people. And, you know, and don't really have any fundamental understanding of the law. My view is that if you can prohibit any interaction with these folk, like full legalization, for example, yeah. then you don't have a situation where they need to be weighing how much of this particular yeah, you know, no, yeah, it, carrying. It, yeah, no, I agree with you completely. You yeah. know, but that's uh, this planet isn't quite sane enough for that yet. Well, I guess my concern associated with this it's the same argument as made associated with the political system, a variety of other things. We need to start having conversations about what sanity actually looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we need to remind people that this thing is so completely insane, and this is what sanity could look like in a slightly better world, well, let's right? Let's just explore the possibilities yeah. here. Let's just take yeah. a look at what's actually fucking going I mean, what's on. What's interesting in parallel to this? In parallel to this, it could be quite possible come August, and I'm still relatively hopeful, that the federal government will move this particular herb from being totally illegal to being medically prescribable, yeah. which on a federal level changes things quite dramatically. I bet it does, yeah. So, you know, these kind of things can happen outside That's of right, California. I can get mine well. through the VA now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, they could actually, and this is where the whole California thing is really out of step, because the governor signed a whole lot of stuff into law last year, which we talked about briefly, in particular my concerns that this was just a, a Washington State-like move, and now we're getting this legislation being put up, you know, as a proposition. <laughs> it, it strikes me this is just like the the wheels in California aren't quite at sync with the rest of uh, the U.S. associated with this particular dialogue. We are behind. I mean, fundamentally. It's a little surprising, with, actually, to me. Well, anyway, that yeah. shows the powers that be here as well, you know. So, it, well, you know. it, it, it sh well, but I mean, the, the fact that it failed in the initiative a couple mm. of years ago uh, says a lot, mm. <laughs> you know, about what's going on in the minds of lots of people. You know, yeah. I mean, that they're the yeah. So, well, but again, I think this is small stuff. I mean, you know, ten, twenty years from now, these these issues will be long behind us. Let us. <laughs> So, there you have it. Now it's up to you to decide whether you want to be like Tom, a well-informed voter, or whether you prefer to display that who-cares attitude of our typical uninformed voter. And again, please keep in mind that three weeks ago, I would have come off exactly in the same way as the typical uninformed voter that we just heard from. But I'm really glad that I'm not like that anymore. So, here's my own bottom line here. I am most definitely voting no on Proposition 64. I will never again donate or otherwise support those lobbying organizations like Americans for Safe Access, ASA, Normal, or the Drug Policy Alliance, or Gavin Newsom and all the other people and organizations who are in favor of eliminating medical marijuana and handing over control of the market to George Soros and his Monsanto buddies. That's where I stand. Where do you stand is now the question. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.